This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. We will begin, Bezat Hashem, today, the first of the series on the Yitziat Mitzrayim, the, the story of the Exodus. And again, the goal is to give you this story in a flowing uh, story format that will, with as well with all the Midrashim, so that it should, uh, um, you know, I gave this class uh, this week for the men, and they mentioned it also, that, you know, most of them knew the story. But now it, it's, it comes in a whole different light when you see it as a continuation. And the when we're going to go to it in the detail that we're going to go to it, you'll also start seeing the correlation between the Makot and what, why, what the enslavement actually was. So, uh, as, as a sort of a, um, before introduction, before we actually get to the, them going to Mitzrayim, we're going to go back to the time of, of Avraham Avinu. In the time of Avraham, Avraham was, um, you know, God told Abraham that his his children are going to be in exile for 400 years, and you know this this already is is where we're going to answer some questions because many people you know have questions of this and they weren't in there for 400 years. So this this exile was actually in three stages. If you look at the Torah, the first stage was that the children of Abraham should live in a land that's not theirs. That's stage number one. Stage number two is that they live they'll be enslaved. And stage number three is they're going to be tormented and suffering. So this actually begins from the birth of Yitzchak. And if we do a quick calculation, Yitzchak was born to Abraham when he was a hundred. And uh, when when uh, if, when Sarah was ninety, yeah. So Yitzchak Abraham was no Abraham was hundred. So uh, Yitzchak gave birth to Yaakov. Well, not physically, but you know he was he fought. He became a father when he was sixty years old. When he was uh, sixty years old. He, um, he, he, he gave, uh, the, the, they had, you know, Yaakov and Esav. And Yaakov went to Egypt when he was 130 years old. So we take the 60 years from Yitzhak was born, add it to the 130 years that, um, Yaakov was, was alive. And until he went to Egypt, you have 60 and, and 130, you have 190. 190 is when they, the, uh, is when the, the, they, they went into e- Egypt. And from there, there was another 210 years in Egypt. So those were the 400 years actually come into play. Now, when Yaakov went into Egypt, he knew that, you know, Egypt was, was a very, it was like the America of that day. It was a very, um, low immoral place. Uh, you know, you think of it as like the Vegas of nowadays. It was very, very immoral. And um, what what Yaakov wanted is is that whatever happens, that the Jewish nation should not intermingle, should not intermarry, should not assimilate with the Egyptian nation. So he always wanted them to be treated as foreigners, as foreign. You know, usually you think you want to be welcoming. He's like, no, 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 just the opposite. I want them to be treated as outsiders because if they get treated as outsiders, then they're not going to feel comfortable and they're not going to intermarry. They're not going to assimilate. So what he did was, is before that he went to Egypt, he sent Yehuda, one of the one of the tribes, and he sent them to uh, to Egypt to uh, to open up a yeshiva. He opened up a school, and it was in a place called Goshen. So it wasn't in the big city; it was it was in a different area, and that's where the Jewish people are going to uh, thrive and live in a place that's not um, not not very close to the cities. So again, it's a little bit further away. So the um, you know while while uh, the Yosef was alive and his family came in, the the tribes and their children they were aristocrats. They were like the high level, the royalties. They got, they didn't have to work. They got like a royal, you know, think of it as like the Queen of England, right? She doesn't work. She doesn't do anything. She does this every so often. So that's a little bit hard. Um, and, but every, after that, she gets, uh, you know, she gets a royal, you know, stipend. So the same thing happened with the Jewish nation over there in the beginning. They got everything. They got the bread ration. They got, they got everything uh, given to them. 
17 years after uh, Yaakov entered Egypt, he passed away. And after that, following for the ne- next 58 years, the Shvatim, the head of the tribes, actually ruled the Jewish nation. They uh, started passing away. The first, the first one to pass away was Yosef. The last one to pass away was um, Levi. And it was a difference of lapse of 22 years. So... Until they had the Shvatim, they had sort of a moral guidance. They had somebody watching over them and, you know, guiding them into the right di- direction. Once, once, uh, Levi, you know, died, the last Shevet died, they sort of started like, alright, you know, like, let's check out the Egyptians. I, you know, here it's nice this time, you know, they, they got good stuff going on, their carnivals, and they said, you know what, let's, and they started going down into them, and they started, you know, um, and, and it says, you know, they, they, uh, they sort of fell a little bit. They, some of them stopped doing the Brit Milah, the circumcision. Others, you know, they, they, you know, sort of dabbled in, uh, you know, uh, the Hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry. They went, cause over there, over there was a hot, was a, it was, it was magic, was, it's all about magic. Magic over there was like a very high level, you know, and we see Bilam was, was the, the, uh, king's, you know, I don't know, advisor of magic. He was like the chief magician or whatever you call, it, whatever his position was. So magic was a very, so the Jews started dabbling into magic and, and, uh, wizardry, sorcery. And then they started going, you know, they went to the theaters, they went to the circus, yeah. How long did it take? for them to assimilate. The Jews, they never actually assimilated fully. They didn't do Bismillah. Yeah, they stopped doing the Bismillah. Even nowadays people do Yeah, but we'll soon see. Not everybody stopped. But we'll soon see. We'll get, we'll get to that. They, they didn't fully assimilate. They didn't fully assimilate, but they started. They started getting... How long did it take till they... It was, I don't know how, how many years afterwards, but it was pretty soon after Levi. After, so after Levi passed away, that's when it... Uh, did Levi struggle Yes, yes, we're going to see that. Yes. So... Um, what happened was, is that until this time, the Jews were in Goshen. They were in a separate land. They were, I mean, they were in, the, in Egypt, but they were like, you know, in the mountains. You know, we don't know what goes on in the mountains. I mean, they say in the news that, you know, the ISIS is having, you know, has campgrounds in, in, uh, in upstate New York. I don't know if you guys read that. Um, but this is a why, yeah, so this is where they're training. So, I mean, we don't know what's going on in New Jersey, let alone, you know, that. So think of it as back then, they didn't have, you know, TV and different things over there. So they had people living over there. They knew there were Jews and they were living over there, but they didn't really have a, an idea how many they were, how they looked, like all that. All of a sudden, the Jews are starting to frequent, you know, the, the main cities, you know, the centers of Egypt. And all of a sudden, they start seeing these Jews everywhere. And it's like, wow, there are so many of these people. Like, we didn't even know there were so many of them that existed. So... And and they actually, um, you know, started becoming very, very, uh, they were in the scene. And, uh, you know, so it says that uh, there was a new new king that ruled over Egypt. And one of the reasons that, you know, it says that is there's two, there's two actually, there's different opinions in it. Number one, it was actually a new king who did not know Yosef. Like, passed, the, the one other king passed away, and this new king came, came about. There's another opinion that this new king changes rules. Everybody was like, to the Jews, was a very high level, you know, there were royalties. All of a sudden, things were, were, were changing. And generally, this is what happens in history. If you look at history, when we try to look like the non-Jews, God sends us someone to remind us that we're different. And look what happened in Germany. Germany, we wanted to be exactly like the Germans. And the Germans woke up and says, you are not like us. And in fact... They even went even further, is that they considered everybody a Jew in Germany. doesn't matter, your father, your mother, Jewish, just one side, you're already considered Jewish. Meanwhile, the Jews were trying to run away from their Judaism, and, and the Germans sort of uh, brought them back to, uh, uh, you know, to remember who you are. Now, while they did, you know, get involved in the Egyptian society, they stuck with three things. Three things they did not change. They did not change their names, so they did not have Egyptian names. Nowadays, you know, you have, you know, the most, many Jews that are Americanized have American names. Back in Egypt, only, only Hebrew names they had. Also, they didn't change their language. They always spoke Lashon HaKodesh. They didn't speak the, whatever Egyptian language they spoke back then. And uh, they kept their dress. They, they drew, they dressed separately. So they actually stuck out 
they stuck out as as Jews and and by the ways that they spoke, by their names, and by the um, and uh, by the way they dressed. So the um, you know Hashem kept His promise to Abraham that they're going to be a, a big nation, and they started multiplying like no one's business. We it says that even it was the, each pregnancy was either twins or six. What is a six? Six tuplets? Six tuplets? Six tuplets. Just add the tuplets at the end. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So um, I think there's a better terminology than that. It's not like octa whatever. Octobo is eight, so it must be six, must be something else. It must be like, like Seth or something. I don't know, whoever knows Latin. Okay, anyways, so not only that, but there was not a single woman that was barren. Everybody was able to conceive, and not only did they conceive, nobody miscarried. And not only did nobody miscarry, everybody had strong children. They were like robust, tall, strong, strong children. And uh, so what happened was, what? I can't say that yet. <laughs> there is, there is, it is going to come into play the no pain part later. But as of now, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't mention that I read uh, specifically. No, no, no. In the story of Yitzhak Yeah. So, <laughs> so the, um, the, now what happened was is that the Jews were multiplying like crazy. They were frequenting the, the, you know, the Egyptian cities. So suddenly the Egyptians are like, you know, these Jews are, are everywhere. And like, like, this is dangerous. Like we see, you know, you get, you go to, you go to like a place in Europe. You don't see Europeans anymore there. It's like you see Islamic people over there more. And the Europeans are like, this is not Europe anymore. This is, you know, this is, uh, whatever, Istanbul, whatever it is. This is, this is not, uh, so they got, they started getting scared and the, the ministers, they gathered a, a, uh, a they made a committee and they went over to Paul and they said, listen, Paul, we gotta do something about this Jewish population. We gotta do some population control. They thought about similar to what Asia was doing. So, um, he says, uh, you know, we got to, you know, th- there's so much, it says that there are more Jews now in Egypt than Egyptians. So it's starting to like, yeah, that, that's starting to, to alarm them. So, Paul, yeah, yeah. The Paro, think about it now. How much does, how many children does an American, you know, family have? One. Two. 1.2, whatever it is. Um, don't ask me how that calculation works. And, um, <laughs> but, but back then the Jews had kids and not just one at a time, but you're talking about it. So it's exponentially, you know, expands like, like, uh, yeah. Egyptians never had. They had kids, I'm sure. I mean, not like, not like the Jews, not like the Jews. They, the, the Jews, it was a special blessing with the children. Like they, they had a lot. Nowadays people think of it as a curse when they have a lot of kids, unfortunately, but it's a very, it's a big blessing. So, Paul goes and he says, he says, what are you guys talking about? He says, you guys are fools. You can't be so ungrateful. Their ancestor, Yosef, saved us. We're the, we're the most powerful nation today because of him. It's like, how could you go and speak that about these, about these, uh, Jews? So, he goes and, and, uh, Paul says, because of them, we're so wealthy. And then the first minister goes up and says, that's precisely the point. He says, we, we had a lot of wealth. How did we get a lot of wealth? Because we had all the food. So other nearby nations, like for example, the Canaan, they came over to Egypt and they bought food. Now, when they ran out of, you know, they kept on, they kept on giving basically us all their money. And we have, we hear from our intelligence that, uh, they're thinking about, you know, getting that money back. And they, they feel like it wasn't fair, like we took it all the money. So imagine if they're gonna, they're gonna start a war, and the Jews, who are more numerous than us in Egypt, are gonna side with them, we'll be done. He says, we have to protect our own motherland, we have to protect Egypt. So the second minister goes up and he says, you know, he says, uh, when the Jews were a small group, they were very, very strong. There, there was a few of them that were able to kill, you know, so many more, more of them. They, are, they, they had like, you know, they give, you know, example, let's say Shimon and Levi, they killed the entire, the entire Shechem. So they were able to kill so many. So now that they're even more than us, and they're stronger than us, it's only a matter of time that they're, they're going to take over Egypt. So 
Furthermore, he go the the next advisor goes and he says, you know, they're very strong. They're not these weaklings. They're they're strong, and not only they're strong, they're united. They're united. So it's it, they're united. They're strong. They're in here. It doesn't look good for us. So Paul says, he says, all in all, he says we have to have the you know the, you know if not for Yosef, we wouldn't be here over here, and we're not touching them. So the ministers left, and they felt uh, you know that you know they didn't like the way that it came out, and they decided that they're going to uh, make a revolt. And they revolted, and they took they took the the power off out of out of his throne. And he was off his throne for about three months, where he suddenly you know felt the loss of power. And he goes back and he says, you know, he called a new meeting. He's like, gentlemen, you know, I had a change of a plan. You know, I was thinking about it. You're really right, and you know, I you really really should do something about the Jews. And he sort of you know sided back with them. And they decided that it's best interest for the country to go and reinstate him back as as the as the leading uh, king, and will work as a unit to go and uh, destroy the Jews. So the king goes and he says, listen, Paul goes and says, we'll go, we'll destroy the Jews, but we have to do it smart. He says, we're, you know, we're a civilized nation, we're, we're, you know, we're the most powerful nation, and, you know, it, what is it gonna look for the other, the other nations gonna look and hear what happened that we're doing to our own, you know, you know, citizens, it's gonna, it's gonna look really bad. And they're gonna say even worse, they're gonna say, you know, you went and you invited the Jews into the land, cause, you know, they, they told Yaakov, come, bring, bring, a, and all of a sudden they come to the land, they grow and they become prosperous, and then you kill them? So he says, we have to do this very, very smart. Without, and he says, even if we go and we start just try killing the Jews, the Jews are very powerful. Not only are they very powerful, they also have a lot of connections. So if they have a lot of connections, they're going to start, you know, they could, they could carry, you know, bring in people from the outside, even from the inside, people are going to like them. So he says, we have to be very, very smart about this. So, here's where Bilam comes into the, into the story. Bilam was, uh, this is not really known so much, but he was actually a prince. He was, he, his father was the king of North Africa, and, uh, his father's name was Angus, Angaius maybe. So, there was a guy by the name of Tzfo that goes to, sends a, sends a message to the king of North Africa, and he says, listen, he says, if we wanna, we wanna expand a little bit, we wanna attack a certain neighboring countries, can you send me, um, can you send me men and in general? So uh, he sends uh, this king of North Africa sends a son, which is Bilam, with with uh, you know tons of uh, you know men and, and ammunition, and they they went through years of of conquests and wars, and uh, shortly after you know the the last war, the um, Tzfal that he he passed away, he died, and Bilam decided that instead of going back to North Africa, he's going to go to to Egypt, which is nearby, and he's going to become advisor to Paro, and this is where he became. He went to Egypt before he was from North Africa. He, he was, they were in the area of Egypt. They weren't too far from Egypt. So, they decided, so, so Bilam became an advisor, and he goes, and he sa- he stands up, and he says, you know, he says, if you want to get the Jews, you gotta get them where, where it counts. And where it counts is, is, is that you have to separate them between them and their God. If they have their God on their side, we're not gonna be able to touch them. But if we're able to separate them, Maybe we could, you know, convince them to, to serve Avodah serve some idol worship. We gotta get them something away from their God, and then we'll have power over them. So they decided that one thing that the Jews were doing back then, even though many of them stopped, but overall the majority were still circumcising. So even though some of them stopped, but the majority of them did do it. So they said, from now on, we're outlawing circumcision. We're not, you're not allowed to do any more Brit Milah. So, Egyptians, no. No. No, back in a certain time they did. There is a Midrash that says that, no, there, there is, there is, Yosef made them, there is, there is a very interesting Midrash that Yosef did make some of them, uh, circumcised if they wanted food and things like that. But at this day and age, at this point in time, there was no, uh, um. Didn't they No, 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 they're not Arabs. They were different. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're Muslims. Back then there was no Muslim. Islam didn't exist yet. Um, Muhammad, uh, didn't, uh, come into power. Okay. Yeah, so they were all uh, serving Abu Dazara. They were all idol worshippers. Oh. 
I don't know, the sand worshippers, they were, they were serving of what Nowadays, but back then it was different. Okay, so uh, everybody decided, they, they, they forbid, forbade to do any Brit Milah. But the tribe, the one tribe that didn't listen to them was the Shevet of Levi. The Shevet of Levi says, no, we're not listening. You know, we're going to still, and they kept on doing uh, Brit Milah. In hiding? Doesn't say, they kept on doing it. Um, what happened if they got caught, and I don't know. So... So Bilam goes and, you know, they stop this, this circumcision and then they make a new meeting like a few, a short while afterwards. Bilam goes afterwards and he's like, you know, first of all, you could see he was such a suck up, this guy. Bilam, you know, really, you know, the, he's like, your majesty, oh, it was such a great decision to do what you did before. We're going, we're definitely going in the right track. You know, your, your highness is very, you're, you're on the ball. Says, but now we need to take a step further. We gotta get the Jews. And he was very, you see how Bilam the Rasha, you know, he was, he was constantly trying to destroy the Jews. So he goes and he says, um, so Paul says, you have any ideas how we're supposed to get them? He says, yeah, we're going to play, we're going to get them at their own game. He says, what's their own game? And Bilam, you know, starts, you know, one of the fabricators of, of lies. He says, you know what, uh, they are very deceptive people. They, they're all with deception. It's like, deception? What, what's with deception with the Jews? He's like, look at their history. And you see over here how, how Bilam, they actually looked a lot in history, in the Jewish history. He says, look at Yaakov. Yaakov, he tricked Esav to sell him the the uh, bechora, to sell him the, the the rights of the firstborn, and then he tricked his father to give him the blessings of the firstborn. He wore the you know, the, the the hairy clothes. Sorry, how does everyone know that story? Back then, it was you know the history was uh, was uh, before you, before you went and attacked somebody, you learned everything about them from beforehand. And you see that not only not only over here, you see also in the story of Purim, the, um, Haman also did a lot of research on the Jews. He didn't just, uh, um, you know, because they knew, they, they knew that back then the Jews were very obviously had some sort of spiritual power. It was very obvious. So they, they, they studied how to go and uh, uh, defeat them. And so they actually did do some, some research. So then, then he goes to, Bilam goes to Parom, and he says, where did you think Yaakov learned deception? He's like, he's like, he's like, I don't know. So he says, you know, from his father, Yitzchak. Yitzchak, when he went to, um, you know, to, to, the, to, uh, to land when, when there was a hunger, he told the, um, he told the, um, what was that, Melech, I believe it was. He told the, the king over there that his wife is a sister. And so that they don't, and Abraham also. He says, then where do you think he learned it from? From his father, who also went to another land, who also the, the king was going to take away, um, you know, his wife. And he says, no, oh, it's not my wife, it's my sister. So there are a bunch of de- uh, deceiving, conniving uh, Jews. And then he goes and he says, and look at uh, Shimon and Levi. Shimon and Levi, they went and they told all of Shechem, oh, you want him to marry for us? No problem. Just do a Brit Milah. They did a Brit Milah. On the third day, they went and they wiped out the entire, the entire nation. So, so too we... We're going to go and, and get them in deception. So, you know, Paro was very, he was very happy about this because, you know, he was a master of deception. He, that's what he, Paro, literally, if you split it out, it's pe-ra, which means like an evil mouth. It was all about speaking bad. He was all about, uh, lashon ara. It was all about bringing, uh, you know, the other, the other side down. So, he goes to Bilam and he says, so what's the plan? So, he says, Bilam says, we're going to start off with taxes. Taxes is a very, very common thing. Nobody can argue about taxes. All the Jews have to pay a tax. And uh, they they issued this decree, and slowly the, the taxes was was increasing and increasing, uh, so much so that the Jews had to give so much money that they didn't have any more money left over. They didn't they mama, they, they they were they were they were dry. They were starving. So they go over to the Egyptians. I'm like, we would love to pay you taxes, but we have no money. You guys took everything. So he said, listen, just because you don't have money doesn't mean you're absolved from taxes. He says, you know what? We have an idea. There's a new construction project in the works. You're gonna you're gonna hear about the information soon, and you'll have enough money to pay for the for the taxes. 
So this is where Paul goes, and he issue, the, this is the second part of the plan. He goes and he says, um, you know, Paul, they, they issue this this uh, decree that they're saying that there is going to be a um, a new you know construction project, a huge construction project that it, that it's hold Paul very very closely in his in his uh, in his in his uh, in his heart. And it's the building of, of Pisom and Ramses. And he says, who, and he's gonna, Paolo is gonna pay very, very handsomely for whoever, uh, goes and works and, in the construction. For every brick that you put on, that you, that you build and, and put on, you get one gold coin. So if you have ten bricks, you, you made that day, you get ten gold coins, which is a significant amount of money. So the Jews didn't have any money. They were stuck. And all of a sudden they have this great opportunity. So all, they right away ran, ran out and they, they all registered. Every single one registered. So the um, now everybody everybody except for the tribe of Levi registered. Levi was thinking and we're like, you know, something's fishy over here. Something doesn't sound right. But should we stay apart from our brothers? They're all going in there, and they were thinking that you know what, our future is supposed to be working in the Beit Hamikdash. It's not really apropos for us to go and do this hard this this uh, this make this working labor. And they sent a delegation and said, listen, uh, we would love to come, but, uh, the, you know, we, there was an epidemic in the tribe of Levi, and everyone is really sick, and we're not strong. And even if we do get better, we're, we're scholarly people. You know, we, 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 we study all day. We're not, we're not the people that you really, we're not going to be much help for you. So they sent this delegation, and they, and they refrained from going to the... Um, they refrain from going to the uh, um, to the work to the to registering for the for the construction. But they still have to do the same amount of oh no, no, we'll soon see. No, no, the the you know what I'll tell you now. So the the Levim were um, Yosef instituted a a rule that anybody who is a priest, whichever religion, you're absolved from taxes. And the Levim they were the priests of the Jewish nation, so they were always absolved from from the taxes as well. So the um, what happened was is that everybody came the first day that everybody came they were the Jews were also nervous so like okay now they're saying something that it's going to be you know all of a sudden something's fishy over here but they came down to to this to the construction site and they see a bunch of Egyptians also signing up so they started like okay it's it's not really so they it sort of relaxed them. So they started working in the morning, and they were, they were, everybody was like, oh, how many books you got? You know, like, oh, you know, and they were thinking of the money, you know, the, 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 the cash is rolling in. And they're working really hard. Finally, the, you know, midday, you know, comes through, and they're like, you know, it's hot, and this, and they start slowing down. And all of a sudden, they, they see, like, like hundreds of soldiers coming in uh, through, to the construction sites. And then they hear trumpets blowing. And then they see the royal caravan. Paul himself is coming to the construction site. They're like, wow, the first day Paul is coming, it must be really close to his heart. And he gets out of his, out of his carriage, he walks in and they see that on his on his uh, hanging from his neck is a brick mold so they would make the bricks but it was like it was like basically a hollowed out brick and he was like wow why you know that's you know he's really and not only that after he gets off that he rolls up his sleeve and he starts working and everybody seeing that they all get all enthusiastic well like if Paul is doing it it must be this is really important so they all like you know got rejuvenated in their energy and they started making more bricks and more bricks and more bricks and meanwhile the Egyptians are walking around with a pen and paper, and they're walking around about how many bricks you had. You know, like, oh, I got like 15 today, but don't worry, I'm not done yet, I'm gonna do more. And they're like, okay, very good. And they're, they're writing down each and every exactly amount of the, of the bricks per person. Well, the reason was is that after the first day, they're like, okay, you are able to do 25. From now, now, that's your quota. You cannot do less than that. And uh, so they completely tricked them into, into, uh, into doing that. So, the, the, uh, after a short while, the Jews kept on coming to work. They were getting paid, and slowly the you know the payments started decreasing. But they still they were still required to come in, and they were still to required to finish their their daily quota. And they started noticing that all the Egyptians, you know, their their coworkers 
they all suddenly got promoted, just like them. You know, oh, you're a good worker. You know, you know, and they go and they send him, and and the, the Jews are staying in the in the regular flat area, and the Egyptians are getting promoted and promoted and promoted. And eventually it gets tougher and tougher on the, on the Jews. The Jews actually compared this to, uh, Marol, horseradish. Why, why specifically Marol? Because horseradish starts off very soft. The Egyptians started off very nice to the Jews. Yeah, come in, we'll pay you. And then it turns very, very hard, uh, when it's matured. And it also was similar to, to there's, there's a, there's two opinions. There's actually a few opinions. Who was the, which, what, what was the Paul's name? So the, there's one opinion, opinion that it was Ramses the, the second. The other opinion, uh, was, his name was Malul. Malul was very similar to Marol. So they, they compared the, the Marol was horseradish. So they compared the whole, the whole situation to, um, to Marol, which is also, we, we, one of the things we eat on Pesach is the, that, uh, that bitter horseradish. So the, the, it's actually, a, you know, some people actually don't eat horseradish, they eat something else, but the, the point is the bitter part. Anyways, the Jews, eventually they started, they did start getting promoted. And they started promoting, there was, it was known as Jew, uh, the Jewish police officers. They were in charge, every Jewish police officer was in charge of 10 uh, Jewish slaves. And the, and every 10 police officers was in charge, was, was being run by one Egyptian. So in essence, one Egyptian was basically ruling over, was controlling 100 Jewish slaves. So the, the point of these, of these Jewish police officers was that they got a whip, and who would, whoever was not producing enough bricks, was not building enough, they would get hit and so that they could produce more. Yeah, at this point already, they're full-on slaves. Uh, if they got paid, they might have gotten paid a little bit, but it was taken away from them. It was, yeah, it progressively got worse. So they, uh, the, the Jewish police officers went and, uh, the, if they, if at the end of the day, they would, I think they were supposed to build by a total of 600 bricks. And if they were short in 600 bricks, then they have to report to the Egyptian officer who was the guy who was, was slacking, and then the Egyptian will also go and hit that guy. So the Jewish police officers were very righteous, and they didn't, they didn't, not only did they not hit them when they not, when they didn't, uh, uh, you know, make enough bricks, but also when the, so they came in, the, the Egyptian police officer, and said, so where's the bricks? And they said, um, you know, we, you know, we did, we came short. So the Egyptian police, of, the Egyptian officer said, so who was the one who was responsible? And so we don't know. So what do you mean? That's your job. So uh, we're not telling you. Says if you don't tell us who the who is responsible, then we're going to give you the makot. We're going to hit you instead of the of the of the Jew that was responsible. So you know, start hitting. And they did not. They would not give up their their fellow brothers to be hit. Because of that, they later turned out to be the one of you know the leaders. They ended up becoming a part of the Sanhedrin, the judges. So they got uh, um, duly rewarded. So the um, the paro was was planning the way that he planned to do it. So now this this plan is already in motion. And he he wants to now uh you know it it was it was going to be a three-stage plan to try to get the Jews completely enslaved. The step number 1 was to get their to get rid of their strength. They were too strong. So one of the ways is if they're constantly working, not giving enough food, they're, you know, they're going to get exhausted. That was going to take their, their, their strength out. Once they have their strength out, they're going to be much easier to control. The second stage was to re- somehow reproduce their, the, the, you know, to reduce their reproductive, uh, you know, whole system because it's, it's out of control. And the third part was to destroy their morale so that they're completely, once you get all those three, they're going to be easy to be subjugated and easy to control. So the, um, when, when Paro created this, this project, he, um, he told them, he says, you know, this is really important to build these cities, because, you know, the Egyptian society is so wealthy. We got all the money of the entire nearby uh, countries, so we need a place to store them. And we're building it, and also they also wanted to build it for idol worship. One of the reasons was, was they were trying to at least, maybe they'll somehow get, if the Jews are around all these idols, and they're going to be building the, the places of idol worship, hopefully maybe somehow they'll slip into that. So, 
they go and and uh, the, the finally there was uh, there was a, a law instituted by Yosef that every every uh, person who has grain or crops has to give one fifth so twenty percent has to go to the to the king. This is how they got so much grain so they would be able to save up for the famine. And uh, this was never, you know, you know, this was a con- it was continuation of a decree. So every year there's tons of grains coming in. The Paul says, I have nowhere to store this. So we need these new cities to um, to be built. What he didn't tell anybody is that uh, Paul had some inside information on these cities, and these cities were not built on solid ground. They were not. They were either they would constantly be sinking or constantly being being, uh, you know, like uh, falling down. They were the foundation. The ground itself wasn't a good ground. Either there was quicksand, there was one opinion that it kept on sinking, or that it was it was shaky and then it just kept on falling. So the Jews would build, it would fall, and they would have to rebuild again. But this was also dangerous because sometimes they would be building inside and it would fall on top of them and it would bury them. He did this on purpose. Yeah, yeah, he knew he knew that it was that. He did that on purpose. So that was so stage number one. He sort of got under control. Now, how are they going to re- reduce the amount of children that they had? So they did, a, you know, the research and development team in, uh, you know, the the, the Paul's, uh, um, you know, kingdom went and they for somehow they decided, you know, what's going to dis- could reduce uh, the the reproduction of the Jewish nation is plowing. It's like plowing, yeah, like it's somehow something to do with the field and going into plowing. And the, and uh, they, they instituted in a way that they started making these Jews, these Jewish men, plow. And literally dig up the ground, and since then they were working in the outside in the fields, so after the Jews finished a long hard day of plowing, the, they were ready to go home. And, uh, the Egyptian, you know, master said, you know, where do you think you're going? They're like, well, we're finished working, we'll be here tomorrow morning, let us go home. They're like, no, 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 what do you mean, we'll go home? We're far away now, we're far away from the city from where, from where you live. Until you go there, until you travel back and forth, we're gonna lose a lot of time. There's no going home, you guys are staying over here. So they made some of the Jews actually had to work through the night. Other Jews, if they were lucky enough, they got to sleep on the cold uh, floors that was, uh, you know, in the, in the actual fields. So the um, after if, and if that wasn't enough, Paro uh, also made them do ridiculous things. They would go and they would have to trap animals. Be like, go, I want you to trap a lion for me or whatever it is in the in the area. And and they would trap the they would be forced to trap these animals that uh the Egyptians even didn't have a need for it. They just wanted and the Jews many times got killed trying to trap these uh these animals. They also um uh, the 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 you know the more it was it was this was was the miraculous part of it is that the Egyptians thinking the more that we subjugate them the more you know usually if someone's under a lot of stress and this is also why while if a woman is pregnant it's very uh, you know it's very, it's not good for her to have a lot of stress because it damages the baby so they're thinking if we are going to go and attack the parents and give them so much stress then even if they do somehow get pregnant the children are going to come out you know you know defective you know you know you know constantly have issues and and health things the miraculous part was is that not only did not did it not um, you know uh, so reduce the number of children. The, the number of children can stay the same, and they still kept on coming out strong and robust. And like it was, the, the, the Egyptians had no idea. It's like the same idea. Yeah, I'll give you a second. The same idea. You know how when they when they hit the frog, they produce more frog. The same idea. Uh, I'll try to stick it in where you can see the midah and midah. Yeah. So what were the women doing at this time? Oh, so the women were also working, um, and we're still going to get to it in the in what you know they how which is going to be in the third stage. So meanwhile, over here, the women were still in their you know in their hometown, and they would actually 
the men were actually out in the fields. So the woman went, and this was a, this was a lot of credit given to the women over here because they actually went out to the men. They came out with pails and they went to the river and they took out they they gave they collected some water and Hashem made a, God made a miracle that fish would go, would would just swim into the pail. So they brought the water and the fish to these uh, to these women and the women went and they and they cooked the fish and they fed them and they gave the you know water for the husbands to drink and to wash themselves. So the husbands became and they also gave them a munah. They gave them chizuk. The women are the ones that gave them chizuk. They're like it's going to be okay. We're going to get redeemed and you know there's a savior. You know the, they knew the whole uh, history. So. From this, the, you know, the, the separation that the Egyptians were trying to do and trying to, 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 to remove the morale, well, the woman re- rekindled it and the continuity of the Jewish nation continued. So, the, um, the, Paul saw that this was not working, so he, he went to, to the next stage. And the next stage was, he's gonna make them do work that is gonna be like, uh, that someone's not used to. When someone, it's very stressful for someone to do work that they're not used to it. So what he did was, is that he started switching it. So men did women work, and women did men work. So men would have to go and, you know, they would, they would like sew, they would clean, they would cook, and they would do all the, 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 what the stuff the women used to do. And the women, they would put them in the fields, they would plow, they would do all the, 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 um, heavily, uh, man work. And, not only that, is that they worked them so far that after they finished working, they're like, okay, now go get, go tend my animals. Go, now you're a shepherd. And after that, okay, now go, after you feed them and you watch them, now go sweep the city streets. And after you swept the city streets, now go get rid of the garbage of the city. And, uh, and if that, and after that, it's like, I need you to catch me some fish. You know, no net, no nothing, just go get me some fish. So, the second that the, 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 the Jews would get used to the work that they were doing, they would switch it up all around and start again from that. So they kept on switching it so that it would, um, you know, like completely stress them out. Because once you get used to something, it's, at least it gets easier. You're, you're in the routine. So this actually took a toll. And this, this is the first time that it actually took a toll on the Jewish children. The Jewish children started coming out even when they were, they were being born. They weren't being born as healthy anymore. Some of them were being sick. Some of them actually did not survive. And, uh, it, you, know, it, he, you know, you see that Paul actually, you know, he hit, he hit something over here. But Paul was not, um, he was not, uh, you know, satisfied. And it was, besides increasing their workload, they would, um, they would also, they would refuse the Jews to wash their clothes. So their clothing would be infested with lice and bugs and all these things, but they would not have allowed to be, to, to, to wash them. So they, they were working so hard in these itchy clothing. The Egyptians goes over to them and says, listen, we'll reduce your workload, no problem. Just so you know, serve my idol. Serve my idol, and I'll reduce your workload. So the Jews refused to do it. He says, no, no, no. He says, we, there's, there's a few rules that we know to stick by, and one of, that's one of them. He says, our forefathers ran away from this. This is the first thing. He says, we're not stepping into this. And they refused, even on the, uh, even on the, on the grounds that they would have easier life and just a more healthier life, they refused to go and to um, worship Abu Dazarab. That power also, they made it um, very, very difficult for a Jew to escape. In fact, it was it was practically impossible. Besides all the magic that they had protecting the area, I believe the number was, I think they had 120,000 Egyptian soldiers uh, in the area, and they had 24 different types of ways to protect and prevent the Jews from escaping. So at this point in time, there was a uh, there was a couple by the name of Amram and Yochebet, and they had their first first child was born at this time, and her name was Miriam. They named her Miriam because Miriam is bitter. bitter. It was it was a bitter time for the Jews. So, Paro was was uh, looking at at what was going on, and even though you know the Jews were starting to get sicker and uh, the children were not coming out as healthy, he's like, it's not enough. He says we got to do something. We we have to do we have to be even more clever. So Paro does his research, and he goes up and he says we have to outsmart the Jewish God. So all the says, how are we supposed to do that? So he says, uh, you know, I did some research and I noticed that um, the, you know, you want to turn on the heat? Yeah. 
the the the, the he said, Paul goes and he says thank you. He he does research and he realizes and he says the way that the Jewish God work is measure for measure. Midah connected midah. Says we have to be smart to get them in a certain place that God will never be able to to pay us back measure for measure. So we have to be safe. So here's where Bilam jumps to his feet again. And again with his uh, sucking up, he's like, he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, your majesty, you hit the nail right on the head. It's exactly what we need to do. He's like, I compliment you on your extraordinary insight. And, you know, here's what I think that we should do. So Bilam goes and he says, there are four general ways for a, for, you know, to, to, to kill, to, to, to I don't know, mass murder or whatever it is. He says either you could do it by the sword. Or you could stone them, or you can drown them, or you could, or through fire. And he goes and he says, he says, uh, we have to worry about two things. Number one, will the Jewish God let us be successful? Number two, if we will be successful, can we prevent it that he doesn't pay us back? That he doesn't do something that's measure for measure? So he goes and he says, he says, I put some thought into this, and he says, uh, this is the, let's go one by one. He says the, the sword, he said, let's start with the fire. The fire, he says the fire is not going to be good. Why? Because Abraham, their forefather, was thrown into the fire. And he got saved from the fire. So he says, we can't, we can't use fire. Fire is not going to be good. God is going to remember the merit of that. And we can't touch that. Then what about sword? He says, sword is also not good because Yitzchak, Yitzchak was willing to get slaughtered on the, on the altar before, for God. And he says, because of that, God is going to keep that, uh, keep that in, um, you know, in, in, in consideration. And we were not going to be able to get them. And he says, uh, stone. Stone is also a problem because Yaakov Avinu, when he blessed the children, he compared them to stones. He says stone, uh, you know, and also there was, a, you know, the stones in, in, in his dream, uh, when he went to sleep. He says the stone is also, they're protected by that. The only thing that we see that we have the ability to go and destroy them is through water. And he says this works out perfectly for us because God, after the flood, he promised that he would never destroy again through water, through, uh, through, through, through a flood. So he says this is a perfect, perfect, uh, scenario. And Binam says, let's throw all the Jews into the ocean. Let's just, let's let them all drown. So Paul says, you know, he's like, hey, what? How does that make sense in this perfect situation if Hashem promised he wouldn't? He wouldn't destroy, so the Egyptians wouldn't get paid back in a destruction way through water. Because everything goes measure for measure. So... Paul says, you know, hold up, you know, he says, he says, uh, you know, he says, we have to be, you know, we have to be smart about this. I can't just go and throw my entire, you know, civilization into the ocean. What are the other nations going to say? He says, I like, I like the way that you're doing, but we're going to hold off on that for, for a moment. And then he goes and he says, and Paul says, listen, I thought about it as well. And he says, you know, think about the history. Uh, Cain wanted to and killed Hevel. One of the reasons that he wanted to kill Hevel is there was two, there was two, there was two brothers, and he wanted to be the sole ancestor of the civilization of the world. So he went and he killed his brother. But the problem was he wasn't smart. He didn't think about it because he killed his brother while his father was still alive. And his father had another child, Shes. And from Shes came all the future descendants, and not not from Cain. So he says. So we have to wait until the you know you have to you know wait until the father dies. He says, but then let's look at Esav. Esav wanted to kill Yaakov, and he waited until Yitzhak passed away. But the problem was, is that he waited too long, and Yaakov had way too many kids. So he says, we have to do it in the right way. And Paul says, I have the perfect, perfect scenario. What we're going to do is we're going to kill all the babies. He says, we're going to get, we're going to kill all the babies. So the people that, you know, that, that are still alive, they'll grow old and they'll die, but there's not going to be any continuation of the Jewish nation. And he says, furthermore, it says, we only need to kill the male babies. The female babies, you know, we don't really need to worry about it. We'll save it for the, you know, Egyptian society to have them enjoy the, the female uh, as they grow up. And eventually they have no men to marry. They'll end up assimilating and marrying to Egyptian. And, uh, you know, shalom al-Egypt. Everything is going to be great. Um, why the male babies? Because if the female babies would live, technically the kids would be Jewish yeah. too. Yeah, but, you know, the, he said that it would be easier. One of the reasons he wanted the male babies out is because the male babies could, uh, the male, oh, so male kids... 
This is before. This is even before the prophecy. Yeah. The reason why is because women do not bear arms. They're not going to go and, and revolt. Nowadays, maybe a little differently, but back then they didn't. <laughs> so um, there, there was no women rights movement. Everyone, the woman, you know, did not did not bear arms, and they did not. So so they said it would be we could easily control the woman. Um, again, not something you can say nowadays, but back then he was able to do it in ancient Egypt. So. He goes and, and he says, um, and, and this is, and this is actually where the, the stargazers come up. So he goes and he says, I have the perfect plan. He says, I'm, we're gonna do all this. We're gonna destroy all these Jewish babies, male babies, without even getting our hands dirty. He says, we're gonna do it through the, through the Jewish midwives. We're gonna get them to kill, so we're not even gonna be at fault of it. So, Paro goes, before he, uh, he calls a meeting, uh, you know, at, at an end, he goes to, he calls the royal stargazers. And he tells the stargazers, he says, listen, he says, are you in agreement? Do you have anything to say? So the star grazers go and they stand up and they says, you know, says we agree with everything that you say because you hit the target right on the nail. Says because we saw in our stargazing that there is going to be a a boy will soon be born and this boy will go and will redeem the entire Jewish nation. So we are in full agreement that every Jewish baby boy should be go uh, should should uh, be destroyed and killed. So. Everybody was in agreement. They made a uh, maskana. They, they pounded the gravel. It's done. All the men, babies, male babies are going to be destroyed. So he calls in. First first business of order is going to be he's going to call in all the midwives. So the two main midwives was Yochevet and Miriam. Yochevet and Miriam, uh, they actually supervised 500 uh, other midwives. So they were the ones on top and they uh, they supervised. So he calls, Paul calls them. Because the Jewish, because they they are the only the Jews didn't call the Egyptian midwives. Wait, but how does it relate to um, the water? Because like if the midwives are gonna kill the kids, like oh well, well they they held off on that. Oh. They held off on that. They didn't they didn't do that yet. How old was Miriam? She was five. Yeah. She's a yeah. She was, yeah. So listen, 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 yeah. You got, first of all, the, their name, Yochavid, was known also as Shifra. Shifra because she would smooth the skin of the, of the newborn baby, and she would wash them and bathe them, and Miriam was called Pua because she would always like, you know, like the poo-poo, she would always make them coo them. She would coo them. A five-year-old can coo really well. Alright? Especially a five-year-old girl, girl, so she did her job really, really well. They were known as that. There was, there was different, it could be it was different. Also, there's different opinions that she was older. The, the opinion that we're going to go through now and through the story is that she was five years old. Um, and, uh, um, how and why she did, I don't know, but it was done. I don't think she was there catching up. She probably came with her mother and, you know, she probably assisted their mother. Yeah, of course he knew that they were Jewish. But he also knew that all the, all the Jewish women only called the Jewish midwives. The Egyptian midwives don't go into the Jewish uh, area. Completely different uh, section, different department. Get paid differently also. So, um, Paul goes, he brings Yochavet and Miriam, and he goes and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to kill all male babies moving forward. So Miriam is, is, you know, five years old. She listens to that. She goes to her mother and she's like, she's like, he's like, this guy, this guy's crazy. He's like, doesn't he know that God is going to kill him? That God is going to punish him? And Paul, you know, children don't sometimes realize, I don't know if that was a situation. Paul is like, you know, I'm right here. I could hear you. I'm literally right here. He says, what a chutzpah, a five-year-old girl. And he calls the guards, arrest her, and have her off with her head. He says, how dare she speak in front of the king like that? So they grab me. Meanwhile, Yochavit starts begging. He says, no, no, please. She's just a little girl. She doesn't understand. She doesn't know the state of fears. Please save her. Please, you know, you know, we'll take care of, you know, please don't kill her. And Paul says, he says, listen, he goes to Yochavit. I see your head. You, you have your head on straight. He says, all right. He says, I won't kill her now. But do exactly what I said uh, to the T of my decree, and you will see how handsomely you'll be rewarded. You and your entire families will be rewarded very, very handsomely. And Paul goes and he says, listen, he says, we have to be smart about this because we're not going to just, you know, give a decree out that all the Jewish babies are going to die. He says, what you're going to do is you're going to kill them as they are born, and then you're going to tell the, the, the Jewish mothers that it was a stillborn. 
And that's why they died. So he says, and Paul says, listen, we did some research also, and the way that you're going to do it, as soon as the baby comes out, you pinch its nose. Don't let it breathe through its nose. And after a few, uh, you know, few moments, it's going to die, and you, you know, bring the baby and say, listen, I'm sorry, but the, you know, once you know it's a boy, you close the nose, and, uh, you know, that's it. It's finished. So, they uh, got the decree, and they left the palace. Now, Yochavah and Miriam had no intention, like zero, they had more fear of God than Paul, of actually fulfilling his, um, his, his decree. But they went even more than that. Is that usually they would go from baby to baby, give birth, and at this point in time, there were some children that were born that were not so healthy, and uh, so but they didn't have the the ability to sit there because they had other other you know uh, you know women that needed to give birth. But now they started like every child that was born, if it was poor, so they would try to arrange that it would have enough food. If it was sick, they started trying. They were praying to God and they were trying to make it better. Why? Because they did not want anybody to ever think that they, oh the, you know what this child died because Miriam and and Yochave, they listened they listened to Paro. So because of that, they went even further they're against him and they want to make sure that every child does uh, does survive so Paul sees this and he's like he's like this is ridiculous he's like he's like the Jewish population is not decreasing he's like we've got to do something about this so he calls in Yochav and Miriam and he says listen guys I, why, why are you guys not listening to me how dare you you know you know let, not listen to a direct order and Yochavet says he says listen he says what can we do he says these Jewish women they give birth like animals so they give birth they don't need any help they have to, like, right out. They don't want to do everything. By the time we get there, the baby's out already. It was like, we can't do anything. So, yeah. So, so they go and, uh, she, she, uh, uh, so Paolo goes to them and says, okay, so when you get there, kill the baby when you get there. He says, what do you, he says, these Jewish women have plenty of babies. They know the situation. They're like experts themselves. If they see us do something to the baby when we get there, they're going to be like, they're going to realize, and then we're not going to get invited anymore to, you know, to these labor things. And it's a lose-lose situation. So, he goes and he says, I see you're a bunch of filthy liars to Jewish women. He says, you're, you're lying to me to my face. And Yohan says, listen, says, your majesty, if you think we're lying, go look at the records. See how many Jewish babies were born recently. So he says, you know what, fine, I'll call your bluff. He calls in the records. He says, tell me, tell me the number. And they give it like an astronomical number. And he's like, he's like, well, you know, it's like, I guess you're right. It's like, it's physically not possible with the amount of midwives that you have to give, to, to assist with these, uh, with this, um, with this volume of children. So he goes and he says, okay, fine, you guys are dismissed for now. And the decree still stands, but you're dismissed. So Paolo decides he's going to make a new, uh, you know, he's going to he's going to spice things up a little bit. He started building homes near these Jewish homes, and he put Egyptian families in these in these uh, Jewish homes. And the point of these Egyptian families was to spy on the uh, on the on the on the you know on the Jews, not on the midwives, on the Jews to see when they're when they're pregnant and when they're expecting and when they're finally in delivery process. Their 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 obligation was then to run, call the midwives. The midwife was come in, and then Paolo says you're going to be the right on time before the baby comes out and then you could kill the babies so yeah I think outside the box so he goes and uh, that's what happened but of course the midwives did not listen and you know the midwives actually got rewarded for this and um Specifically, specifically Yochaved. Yochaved first of all gave birth to Moshe, which was a good legacy. But beside that, she gave birth to um, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. It was actually in the reverse order: Miriam, Aaron, and then Moshe. And in the merit of those three righteous people, the entire Jewish nation survived. In the merit of Moshe, we got the man in the desert. In the merit of Aaron, we got the Ananea Kabod, the, the clouds of, of uh, glory, pillar of clouds. And uh, in Miriam was water. We got the water. So. The, um, the, they, they got duly rewarded both in this, in this world and in the next world. So, 130 years has passed now since, uh, the Jewish people came to Egypt. After, after, uh, since, since Yaakov came to Egypt. And, Paul has a dream. And in his dream, he sees, um, there's an old man that comes and places a lamb 
on one scale. And he brings out a scale, a huge scale. Places a lamb on one scale. And then he takes all Egyptian men, women, and children on the other scale, on the other side of the scale. And he sees the lamb is outweighing the entire Jewish nation, the entire Egyptian nation. And he's like, he's like wow, that's crazy. And then if that's not enough, the, this old man then goes and takes all the money, all the gold and silver and jewels that the Egyptians have, and they place it also on the scale, on the side of the of the Egyptian. And the little lamb, the baby lamb, still outweighed the entire the entire thing. Then they went and they bought all their military equipment, all their guns, ammunition, everything that they had back then, the weapons. They put it uh, also on the side of the Egyptians, and this one lamb still outweighed this entire uh, this entire basically the entire Egypt. So. He woke up very, very disturbed. He woke up and he's like, he's like, something's going on over here. So he calls a meeting with all his advisors and he says, uh, tell me what's, what's with this dream? What is the meaning of this dream? So guess who's the first person to stand up and give him the, the interpretation? Bilam. Bilam comes up and he says, your majesty. He says, this means, he says, there's going to be a Jewish, a Jewish baby symbolizing by the lamb, the baby lamb, and he's going to come in and he's going to outweigh the entire, uh, the entire Egyptian, uh, society and he's going to go and take out the Jews. Therefore, I, I, what I recommend, <clears throat> is that we kill these Jews now once and for all. Don't wait anymore. We've got to kill them now. So Paul says, goes to Bilam and says, I see you. You're still with your forceful you know, opinion. He says, I respect it. He says, I want to hear my, what my other advisors have to say. So he, has, he goes over to his two other advisors, which was there, was Yitro and Eov. So he goes over to Yitro and he tells Yitro, um, what do you think about it? So Yitro says, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think we should kill all the Jewish people. And he spoke for the Jewish people. He says, listen, just look at the history. When, when, uh, the king, when one of the kings went and tried to harm uh, Abraham, he got punished. And he took when he took his wife Sarah. When Yitzchak, when somebody, when another king went and they tried to take uh, Rivka, he got punished also. Besides that, we see over here from history, whoever messes with Jews gets gets bad at that. I recommend that we stand back. And furthermore, we owe them a lot of gratitude. So don't you remember? We owe them a lot of gratitude. How do we go and and, and repay in this way? Yes. So, so Paul, this made Paul very, very angry. You know, with this, and and Yitro, you know, saw that, and he did. Paul didn't say anything. What? Yeah, he actually runs out. He didn't get kicked out. He ran out. So um, he goes and 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 uh, he goes to Paul goes to uh, to Eov and says, "What about you?" And Eov says, "He says he kept quiet. He says, listen, Your Majesty, it's your nation, it's your people. I don't have any say in this matter. Whatever you decide, I stand by." So um, because uh, you know because of this, they each got rewarded. Because Yitro, first of all, Yitro got, saw what was happening. He saw how, you know, the, the, the facial expressions that went on in Paro, and he says, you know what, it's not safe for me anymore. And he booked, he ran, he, he escaped to Midian. And then, um, Bilam, so he got rewarded afterwards, as we see that, you know, he, you know, his daughter married Moshe, and he had children on the Sanhedrin, and, uh, Bilam got, got duly punished, he was, he was murdered by the sword. And Yov got also punished for remaining silent, and he had a life full of suffering. A life of terrible, terrible suffering. Here we see over here that everybody gets paid back. At the end of the day, you're doing something good, you're going to get paid back. It might not be right now. It might be soon, but trust me, everybody's going to get paid at the end. And this is also, you can learn from here that there's certain times that things happen that you're not supposed to just keep quiet. Be like, okay, I don't want to stick into politics. I don't want to say that. There's certain times that you got to stand up. And you see like, like uh, you thought he stood up and he got uh, where he was supposed to and he got duly re- rewarded. So, but... Paolo decided he's going to follow Bilam's advice. He says, you know what? It's getting too bad. You know, this dream is scaring me. And he went on and says, now we're going to destroy all the Jewish baby boys. We're going to, even because they see that it's not working with the, with the maidservants. And what we're going to do is we're going to throw, we're going to get them into the, into the river, into the Nile River. And he says, but we're still going to be smart. We're not going to just chuck them. He says, we're going to go and grab every Jewish baby after they're born. And we're going to put them by the banks of the Nile. And by the river, and then when the river rises, it's going to sweep them in, and it's going to drown them by themselves. So we just, you know, let them sunbathe on the side. So, wait, live babies. Live babies. 
Why were the moms Muslims take the baby? They didn't. Oh no, they came in. It was martial law. They came in after this decree. The entire Jewish uh, Goshen was was flooded with with soldiers, and they literally ripped these babies out of their of their parents' crying hand. They ripped them out and they put them um, literally some you know this disturbing disturbing things. Think of it like a Holocaust. So they also they they um, you know they also did like uh, it was it was. They, they hunted for babies. And not only the Egyptian soldiers hunted for babies, everybody again and again. The, the Egyptian school children left school, left class, so they could go and hunt for Jewish babies. And when they found the baby, it was like an exciting thing. They ran to tell their fathers. The fathers ran, grabbed the baby, and, and also put them into the, to the ocean. Now, into the river. This, um, the fact that they only put them in the, in the, in the, um, what is that called? And the river banks. And the river banks was only in the beginning. After after a short period of time, Paolo was like, you know what? Forget it. We don't have time. Just throw them straight in. It's like he didn't care anymore. He just like wanted it. He wanted it done. So the um, the Jews saw what was happening. So what they started doing is that they built these underground tunnels inside their houses so that they could store the babies and hide the babies. So when the Egyptians uh, soldiers come in, they're not going to find anything. And the Egyptians got hold. You know, got, they 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 heard a wind of this. So what they started doing is that the Egyptians' mothers started bringing their own babies into the these Jewish homes and like pinching them or like shaking them so that their babies would cry because if a ba- baby has like a sympathy uh, what is it called a uh, um uh sympathy. sympathy cry so they the baby hears a cry so they're also going to start crying so the, the the Egyptian mothers went even further it says they want to make it easy for their children to cry so they would starve them just so they could go and they could kill. So they would came, they would come in with the babies and they would pinch them and hurt them and shake them so they would cry. Then they would hear a baby crying like a wall or like something digging downstairs and they call the soldiers. The soldiers come in, find the baby and uh, throw it into the water. So the um, it became increasingly clear that, you know, the Jewish people were not going to be able to actually, you know, produce children this way like they're literally killing killing everybody so what they you know the, the Egyptian surveillance system was really good so what they started doing is that they started running to apple orchards and there was fields for the apple trees and when the when the Jewish woman felt that they were about to give birth they would run to this apple you know field and they, God made it you know it was, it was a miracle back that when they got into this apple field they sort of fell instantly into a sleep and God made them give birth without any pain this is without the, the pain comes in and uh, they woke up and they looked at the baby and they said listen he says we're going to bring them back that sudden death he says God we leave them for you over here and they left them in the fields and they walked away mm-hmm. and uh, these children uh, what, what happened was God sent an angel to them and they, each child had two rocks placed near his head on the, in one rock milk came out and the other rock honey came out and God made it also a miracle that the, the hair would grow really long to their knees and that was that was like their, their clothing that was like their yeah that was their clothing so and this is how the Jews, uh, you know, grew up, uh, you know, over there. And the Egyptians started seeing something fishy was going on over here. Like, they're going there pregnant. They're not coming back pregnant. It's like, where's the baby? And they started catching on to it. They're like, they must be out in the field. So they sent a bunch of police officers look for the babies in the field. And the, when they came to the field, there was a miracle that God made the, the, the earth open up and sort of like sucked in the babies into the ground. And they come into the, you know, the police officers come to the place where everybody, all the women were coming out of. And there's no babies there. And they're looking they're like maybe they maybe they dug them under the ground maybe they did something like that so they brought plows they brought plows and they started digging up the entire area where the apple orchards were to try to see if they could find any babies after they dug up the entire area they saw that there was nothing there they felt satisfied and they left miraculously they went deeper miraculously after that God yeah oh we'll see we'll get to it so it was an apple field yeah why specifically apple fields midrashim. Yeah. So they after they left, they 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 sort of sprouted out from the from the ground again, and they went right back to their to their uh, um, uh, position that they were before, and they got the rocks over there, and that's how how oh we'll soon see 
all your questions will be answered. So they go and um, they, uh, first of all, these babies were, were grown up, they grew up over there, you think, okay, they must be like socially awkward, you know, growing up with rocks as a parent, you know, like, it must be really weird. So, but it, but the miracle was is that, that they were well adjusted, and they were completely normal in every sort of way. And when they grew up older, and they were, and they were uh, matured, and they were fully grown, they went home. They went home, and they knew where their house was. And they go, they, these babies. These were the only Jewish boys that survived. No, no, no. There were, there were more. So they go in and, well, at this point in time, yeah. So they go in and they, uh, um, they go to their parents and be like, you know, I'm your, I'm your lost little child from that. They're like, what are you kidding me? He's like, you don't know, look at me. He says, I look exactly like that. And they looked, they saw a resemblance, and they all got reunited that way. Like, it was a miracle. There's all things, they're all miracles. I don't know. This is a, all, this, this was 100% a miracle. You know how many? You know how many there was over there was a, it said it's about 600,000 children in this type of group. That's how many children came uh, out of that uh, thing. So the uh, meanwhile Paul is is going and um, you know uh, he, he you know he's he's not very obviously not happy. Everything's failing for him. So uh, he you know his his uh, stargazers call a, a emergency meeting to him and they're like you know, he's like what's going on? So they go to him and they says listen uh, there seems to be an element of uncertainty in the matter. He's like, what do you mean by, you mean this is a mistake? You mean we've been killing Jewish kids for no reason? Uh, whatever, he still wanted to get them killed, but I'm saying you, they, one of the reasons he killed them is because they knew that a Jewish savior will come out. And, uh, um, and he goes and he says, no. He says, it's, it's for sure going to be a savior. But now we're, the more, we did numerous readings on the stars, and the more that we've, we're, we're looking at it, the more that we see is, um, it's possible it's gonna be an Egyptian baby as well. We don't know if it's a Jewish, the uncertainty is we don't know if it's a Jewish baby or an Egyptian baby. So Paolo says, you know, one of the things that, that a king always, you know, is very careful about is his throne. And he does not want, he says, the Jews get out, it's not gonna be good for him. He says, to, to the sea with the, uh, with the Egyptian babies as well. And he put a decree that all the Egyptian babies as well be thrown in. So all of a sudden, now that the Egyptians have to throw in their own kids into the ocean, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, come on, Paolo, this is injustice. You know, babies, you're going to throw them. All of a sudden, they care about uh, little children. Uh, but Paolo would not, he says, no, everybody's going in there. Who would do it then? Like, the soldiers, the soldiers. They wouldn't do their own kids, obviously. But they're, they, the soldiers, uh, well, you never know. Some of them, you look at the, the, the Arabs, they're, they're willing to, you know, send their little six-year-olds to go and blow up, uh, um, you know, in the name of Allah and in the name of anybody to, to, to just kill people. So, but the, the, the astrologers were actually, you know, not really wrong in their, in their, what they saw because it really was a Jewish baby, but it was raised in an Egyptian house. And they saw also that their downfall of the Jewish baby is going to be through water. And that really was through water, because Moshe was through Memiriva. He was supposed to talk to the rock, and he hit the rock. So his, he also got punished because of that. So we have two options. Either we go on. He got punished for, for yeah, Moshe got punished because of the water, because he didn't, yeah. So we have two options over here. We have an option of, uh, it's already getting late, of going a little bit more or saving it for next week. Oh, go All the way, we're going to be here for a long time. Yeah. You guys are okay, so if anybody needs to leave, please uh, feel free to get up. We'll go a little bit more. One of the reasons is I, this story is so long, is that, you know, get all the details, I wanted to uh, get as much, uh, you know, so we have to pack it in. Okay, so, during this time, you know, the, the, um, even though we had some boys that were being saved through this apple orchard, um, uh, you know, Amram and Yochavid, which was the leaders of the generation, they saw that it wasn't, you know, the, the, you know, the Egyptians are still, they're killing out the babies, the Egyptians, everybody's getting, uh, getting killed, so he decided he's gonna separate from his wife, he's gonna divorce his wife, Yochavid. Mm-hmm. And he went and he divorced, uh, from Yochavid, so that the, what's the point of bringing kids if they're gonna just be destroyed? 
So he goes and he divorces uh, uh, Yochavet. Meanwhile, um, you know, uh, all the Jews follow suit. Everybody else, all that the leader, you know, separated from his wife, not to have any more kids. So everybody else also that. So Miriam, five years old, little little uh, Miriam, goes at the time and she goes to her father. He says, I, you know, I don't understand. He says, you're worse than Paul. I'm worse. How am I worse than Paul? Paul's decree is only for the boys. Your decree is all for the girls and for the boys. He says now we now now the Jewish then we can't have even any girls. Furthermore, she says says if the Jewish if a baby comes into this world and he and he dies whatever reason that it doesn't make it, still has a share in the world to come. He came into this world so he has he has he has a share in the world to come. But now you're not you're even preventing that. So. This uh, this made a deep impression on on Amram, and he decided that she's right, and he remarried uh, he remarried you know, his wife Yochavet, and at that wedding, you know, Miriam danced so ecstatically. She knew that there was you know a, a level of some sort of prophecy that she had that she knew that there's going to be another baby that's going to be born from this union that is going to uh, you know do miraculous things. So, at this time of the second wedding, uh, renewal of the vows. If so he Yochavet uh, was 130 years old. She was 130 years old, which was still old at that time. But she was renewed. She was renewed. What's so funny? People can't even live till 70 now. Well, yeah. <laughs> but back, yeah, back then they lived a lot. To, they lived a lot more. Yeah. So they um, they lived. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, yeah. And Miriam is is uh, is ready at this level. <laughs> yes, Aaron. Very good question. Very good question. Excellent. Yes, Aaron was already born. Aaron was. Uh, I, I believe the age difference was was. If I'm not mistaken, I have to look this up. I think Miriam was five, Aaron was three, and Moshe was zero. So it's like a there's like a there's like a two and a three year uh, gap. So if I'm not mistaken, so now the um, so so they were. She was 130 years old when when uh, they remarried, and six months and a day after they remarried, she gave birth. She gave birth. Six months, premature. Yeah, it was a premature. Um, <laughs> she got it. She knows it. So Moshe was six months. <laughs> Moshe came out at six months, and not well, soon see. Moshe came out came out six. So he came out at six months. But even though he came out prematurely, he looked completely like a full born, uh, full grown uh, baby. And not only that, he was um, he looked he looked good. He was illuminated. He was he was a beautiful, fully developed. Everything was perfect. And he was also he was he was born circumcised. He was born so, circumcised. People nowadays are born circumcised also. Really? Yeah, I know people. I know somebody who was born circumcised. Yeah, so yeah like, true. No, no, they still do believe me. It's a miracle. No, but yeah. So, so now, yeah, they still do a bris. Yeah, well, they don't. They they make they make a little blood and they uh, yeah. And you want me to go through the the procedure? Okay, <laughs> okay. So um, the. The stargazers were constantly looking at the stars, seeing when this baby is going to be born, because they're like, it's coming soon, it's going to be soon. And then they see, like, okay, the baby was conceived at a certain point in time, and they knew that this baby is going to be born within, they figured, nine months. They didn't know that it was going to be born early. They figured Moshe is going to be, this, this, they didn't know it was Moshe. They figured the savior of the Jewish people is going to be born. So, this gave, um, and Yochavet and Amram knew about this, so this, and, and they kept track of everybody who was giving born, so they figured every nine months they're gonna come in and check it. So Yochavet and Amram had three months of peace. Three months that they would be able to, to raise Moshe without ever having to worry about, because they're not gonna come in until, until they think that she's due, which is gonna be in nine months. So, as it gets closer to the nine months, the, as expected, the, the hunt for the Jewish babies got intensified. You know, all like put it on, you know, souped it up. Like it was like everybody, all hands on deck over here. And, um, they, they kept on, you know, they kept on checking the, the stars after they, they came in from a day's work. And the Paul says, you know, says, so what's the story? They were like, listen, we see that the baby is born. And did we get him? And he says, no, the baby's still alive. So they kept on, you know, intensifying it. Meanwhile, 
word got out with all the intensive searching that, uh, you know, Yocheved and Amram, one of the leaders of the Jewish nation, they, they had a baby already, and we, you know, we, something misplaced over here. So Yocheved got, you know, heard about this, and she said, she, she started thinking, you know, we have to figure out a way to do it. To hide the baby is not going to be enough, because they saw they were not able to hide the babies anymore. So what she decided to do is, she realized that the stargazers are going to go look and see how the baby is going to, you know, the baby is supposed to die through water, and so what she's going to do is she's going to hide the baby in water. So she goes and she makes this basket and, um, you know, which is three months, this is three months after, uh, Moshe was born. Moshe was born on the, on, on the sixth of, of Adav. And three months later was the sixth of Sivan, which is, happens to be the day that Torah was given also. And God made it also. Specifically when Moshe was placed in the basket was a, was a date also that, that Torah was given. So Moshe was placed in a basket and was covered and, you know, poked little holes in it and she put him in the, in the, in the river and she shipped, uh, she shipped him off. And meanwhile, you know, they asked Miriam, be like, you know, we thought this was going to be, you know, the, the, the big, where's your prophecy now? Where's your big thing now? And Miriam was very saddened by this. She's like, she's like, it's my brother's. And she stuck, stuck around by the, by the, by the, by the bank in the bushes to see and hide and see what's going to be with her baby brother, with the, with the baby brother. So, Miriam, um, meanwhile, at this point in time, uh, Miriam, it says that she waited, uh, you know, there's different opinions of how long she waited. The opinion we're going to go with is she waited about seven hours. She waited seven hours, and uh, for this reason that she waited seven hours, we also waited for her in the desert for seven days uh, when she had uh, when she was struck with tzolas. So she goes and she sits over there, and during this time, uh, there was a woman by the name of Batya. Her name was not really Batya. Yeah, we'll soon see what her name was. But she um, she was a daughter of Paro, and there's also different opinions if she was a daughter of Paro, was an adopted daughter, and uh, she goes and and she had tzolas also. So she went to the she used to go to the Nile to bathe because the the waters of the Nile used to used to you know help her um, feel a little better. Wasn't the tzolas only for Jews? No, no, she also got it. It was because of the same reason the Jews. Had no, she did, she didn't do anything wrong at this point in time, as far as we. No, I mean, we, I'm sure there was a reason why she got it, but what I read in the Midoshim, I don't know why specifically she had it. Um, so she goes and she goes to bathe herself in the Nile, and she goes into the Nile, and um, you know, and and as a as a uh, princess, you know, she goes not by herself. She has thirty maids, you know, coming coming along with her, and by the time that she gets into the into the Nile, so they all the the, the all the women they go and they you know. They, what they used to do there is they used to look for rocks, so nice rocks and stones and jewels in the, by the Nile and, and uh, the, while she bathed. So they went around looking and she went to, into the Nile. So she goes into the Nile and she sees in the distance there's a basket over there. And she was very, very intrigued with this, the interesting basket just flowing in the, in this, in this, on the water over there. So this basket was about 120 feet away from her. So somehow she decides to stretch her hand and a miracle went that her hand stretched 120 feet grabbed the basket and brought it slowly back to her. But the miracle, the miracle was even intensified with the second that she touched the basket, she was healed. From her entire tzarat, everything that she suffered, she was healed instantly. So she was very, very shaken by this. The opinions that I've read it is, uh, is that, uh, she, that her arm was actually stretched out. Did she get freaked out? She was. Uh, I don't know about that part. The part that she was terrified was the part that she was healed. Um, again, they, back then, the supernatural stuff was more common to them because they had magic. Magic was real. So it, they, they really, um, you know, had a lot of that information. Is there any more water there? No. Um, no, it's fine. It's good. Okay. Um, I'll ration this out. <laughs> All right. um, yes. Like, what was the need for that mir- specific miracle to happen? Like, why did... Why did the Tzalat need to be healed? No, why did her arm need to be stretched out? Oh. Is there any... any why couldn't you just... Came, came closer? I think there is a reason. I don't recall it. 
I'm, I think there was a reason why. I don't recall it. Um, but I don't know. The, from all the, there might be an opinion that it just was nearby and she didn't stretch out. But from all my understanding and everything that I've read, I've always seen it stretched out. And it's like a very common. Uh, you can also see it as a metaphor. Like um, no matter how far um, you think something, what you want is. It's only a hand. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 No, trying to get the sushi. I once heard an opinion that when she was going to the Nile to cure her tzaras, it's also because she was becoming a giorus in secret. Yeah, so so that's very true. So. Yeah, that is she was she was very that is that is also yeah that is true. Um, uh, she was she was going. She was very defo- she 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 hated the idol worship. The the entire Egyptian palace was full of idol worship, and she she hated it. She was drawn to towards like Judaism in a certain way. So she did. She used to like to go to bathe a, in a sort of way of purity um, away from the palace, and they went and she did that in the Nile as well. And that's also what the reasons that she went there as well. But but the part that really scared her was the part that 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 she touched it and she became healed. And she tried every medicine that, that you know, and she was the princess. So she, had, so yeah, so she, she, she was very, you know, she, she opened up like shaking and she opened up to see what's inside and she sees this beautiful baby, like shining, glowing baby. And she's like, he's like, who would put such a perfect baby into the ocean? And she goes and she looks into, into, into this baby and she, op- and she sees that the baby is circumcised. So she realized that it must be a Jewish baby. And, uh, meanwhile, at that point in time, there was a Malach Gabriel that God sent down and he sort of made Moshe cry. So Moshe was crying at that minute, at that moment that she, that she opened up and she was looking at him, that she, you know, had some motherly woman instinct and she started feeling bad for the baby. And she says, you know what, I want to take care of this baby. She says, this baby is too perfect, it was given to me, this is a miracle, it just see, you know, she had all these reasons that she wanted to keep the baby. So, yeah. What did she do to merit, like, raising Moshe? Like she must have it's, done something. Right. Like, well, it could be from the fact that she wanted to, you know, she was into the, into the, the Jewish, uh. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Never underestimate, never underestimate one small deed. You don't know what it could actually, because it, it also depends on the person itself. I don't know what exactly what the merit was, but, um, she, you know, she definitely, you know, she had, she had pity on him. She could have just said, you know what, I, I don't need this and I could put it away. So, so it was also a part, a test on her to actually take the baby. Not necessarily, why would you want to take a baby? She knows that her father was all against the Jewish baby. So it was, a, it was even, the merit is even, even greater by the fact that she just was willing to take the baby. It seems like it. What her name before? Um, her name, her name was, uh, Tarmos. Tarmos. She didn't have any kids. No, she didn't have any kids. So, um, she goes and she goes and she shows her finding to all her, you know, maidservants over there. And she's like, look what I found. I'm going to keep it. You know, it's like, oh, I found it. I'm, I'm going to keep it. So they were like, um, not yet. Not yet. To, to, so these people, so they saw her come in not pregnant. I mean, she didn't have birth, you know, all of a sudden, you know, magic. Yeah. So they go and they, they start telling her, he says, how dare you? He says, your father is going completely against all this. And you're going to go and go, if anybody needs to listen to your father's orders, is her, their own, his own family. And they would not let her, you know, take the baby. So the angel Gabriel, that was, um, I believe it was angel Gabriel as well, he went and he, and he had all the, all the maidservants killed, except for one, except for one. One, one stayed because it's not, you know, befitting, thank you. It's not befitting for a, for a princess to walk alone. So she kept one. I guess they saw that. The other one was like, all right, you know, well, do whatever you want. I don't know. It doesn't get, it just died. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, meanwhile, the baby Moshe is still crying. And she's like, you know what? He's probably hungry. He was floating in a boat. 
who knows how long he was, so he's probably very hungry. So she goes and she's like, uh, she calls an, a wet nurse to go and, and nurse the baby. So an Egyptian nurse comes in and, and Moshe refuses to, uh, you know, to nurse. And she calls another Egyptian nurse and he would refuse. She's like, what's going on? How do I get this baby to eat? So, She's thinking, he's like, listen, this is a Jewish baby. Maybe if I get a Jewish baby, um, to, a Jewish mother to nurse the Jewish baby, maybe then, uh, he'll, he'll nurse. So at this point in time, Miriam is still observing this entire situation. So she runs over to, 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 uh, you know, little, you know, Miriam runs over to, uh, to Batya and she says, listen, she says, uh, you want me to get you a Jewish uh, nurse? And she's like, yes, please, please, please run and get me. So, you know, uh, Miriam goes and runs and who does she call? Her mother. Her mother. She calls her mother. And uh, her mother, Yochavet, comes to uh, comes running to um, you know she sees Batya holding holding her child Moshe, and so she goes and she says uh, Batya goes to to Yochavet and says, "Can you please nurse this child? Can you try?" And she tries nursing, and, and Moshe takes it. So she's like, she's like, you know what? He says, "I want you to be the nurse for her." He says, "I'm going to pay you." That you're going to be the one who's going to nurse for her. Can you, you know, are you, are you able to do that for me? And she's like, yeah, you know, listen, I'll, I'll do it. She's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's like, this is a very special child for me. Says Batya to, to Yochavet. She says, I want you to consider it as if it's your own child. She's like, you got it, I'm going to do it. And she's like, no, even more than that. You're not allowed to nurse any other baby other than this baby when you're nursing this baby. And she's like, Yochavet goes, I'll promise you, I'll nurse it as if it's my own child. And um, she goes, and Moshe was entrusted back to his, to his mother. And not only that is now Paro, and and uh, Batya are paying for Moshe to get uh, to, to be fed. Well, we'll see. We'll soon see what, what how it goes into into Paro. Like, what did so, she say to him? Like, we'll soon we'll see. It comes into thing. So because she was planning on doing this for two years, for two years, so that the, the Moshe was going to be nursed by uh, by uh, um, you know. And she says, after two years, you're going to bring him back to me. And he must look exactly like well, obviously older, but you know, as beautiful as he looks now. You got to keep ex- very very good care of him. She says, you got a deal. So she goes and, you know, for two years, for two years he lived back with his parents, uh, Amram and Yochavet. But the soldiers didn't see? No, they got, this was a royal, this was not anymore a Jewish baby. This was, but yeah, this was a, the baby from uh, the princess. And she's just, uh, she's just a witness. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Yeah. So, uh, Moshe actually, you know, when, uh, uh, the person who named him Moshe was actually Batya. It was not the name that he was given by birth. Moshe actually had ten names. And we'll go through the ten names now. I'll tell you what, what were the names. Moshe, first of all, was given by Batya because she learned Hebrew. And this, this could be correlated to... What she was name ma- did We'll get to that. Moshe, he, called, he was called Moshe because... Uh, I, I pulled him out of the water. That's why Batya called him Moshe. His parents gave him the name Tuvia because he looked good. His, <laughs> his sister, Miriam, gave him the name Yared. Because she went down like Yardam, she went down to the water on his account. Amram, her father, called him Chaver because because through his connection with his son, he was he, he was connected basically with his wife because of uh, you know, and that's what I came out. Not not Chaver, 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 yeah, and it is yeah, that is true, yeah. Uh, he was given the name by Yochaved. They also named him Yikusiel because she hoped that God will turn return back a child. Yochavet, you can say. No, but I thought it was Noah. There was a few, a few reincarnations in them. We'll go maybe at that. I'll go I'll explain that. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Jewish people called him Shemaya because Hashem listened to their cries during the days. This came out afterwards. Um, Aaron, his brother, gave him the, the name Avizanuach because his parents left and re- left each other and returned on Moshe's account. His nurse. Was, which I'm not sure who it was, but it was, he had a nurse also that called him Avisoho, which because he was uh, hidden in three months, uh, from the Egyptians in like a sukkah, in a soho. Uh, his grandfather Kehas called him Avigdor 
because he, this put a, um, the, after he was born, they stopped the, throwing the children into the water anymore because they saw in the thing that the, this baby was already put into the, into the ocean. It was put, they, they didn't realize that he was alive, but the stargazers realized there was a baby in the ocean that was the savior. So after that, it was stopped. So he was called Avigador. Then, uh, his ninth, his, uh, ninth name was, uh, Ben Nisanel because the Torah was given, Nasan, through him. And, and the last name was Aviasar because Hashem overlooked the sin of the golden calf because of Moshe. <coughs> And his Egyptian name was, probably no one knows this, Monios. Monios was his Egyptian name. Uh, I don't know. I don't know Egyptian. So uh, he goes and, and, he, and he, um, he was, so at two years old, he was brought back to the palace. He was brought back to the palace and, you know, he was, he was, um, you know, he was introduced to all the Egyptian scholarships. He was, he was really treated like a prince. He was literally the prince. And, uh, Moshe, you know, uh, when, and he, when he came back, he was very, very, like a two-year-old boy, very obviously handsome. He was also significantly taller than all the other kids his age. And Abatya took him and she used him, she, she basically raised him as a son she never had. And she was, uh, and she let everybody know that she gave birth to this is her child. She introduced everybody, he's like, oh, here's my son Moshe, to everybody. And she was one of the, um, she was one of those mothers that were like, on top of him, you know, like every second, it's like, did you do your broccoli, you know, did everything, everything was literally, uh, you know, on top. It was like, a, you know, never, never allowing him to leave with the protection of the palace. She, and, and not only that is, you know, he was Paul's grandson. Paul played with him. You know, it was that he used to he used to take him. Paul used to take him on his lap, and you know, playfully, Moshe would take his crown off off Paul and throw it on the ground. You know, and Paul, everybody was flat. He's a two year old kid. He's like, oh, and they go, they pick up the crown, they put it back in hand. And this was the game that they played. Paul would sit on him, he would go grab his crown and throw it off, as a symbolizing that he's going to do. How would he do that? He was Jewish or not? So it it it, we, we, it, it, it seems from the. I found the baby in the water, like. Yeah, I guess, so. I don't know, maybe they didn't have a good relationship, I don't know, maybe they didn't say, it. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> it went, it went through. Whatever it is, I don't know the conversation that it went by, but, but, uh, it definitely, and it, you could see it was a miracle because there's so many signs that going on that it's, it's like, alright, you should obviously see that, you know, there's something going on over here, but God made it that ball, it was right over the head. So, he goes and, Question. yes. Is it ever talked about, or are there any, um, like, uh, any opinions on why Moshe had to grow up in, yes. in the past? Yes. One of the reasons was is because he was getting used to be, uh, you know, talking to the aristocrats, and, and he knew how to deal with them, because he grew up with them. And later, when he has to go and meet Paro, he knew how to talk with them, because he was in that whole position. For, for So why is it specifically, why does he specifically say that he didn't know how to talk when Moshe gave him the job? He was because, it, his, because of his, uh, his, he had a speech impediment. Which we'll soon see. Oh, that came later. So what happened was, yeah, we'll soon see, yeah, yeah. We're going to get there, we're going to get there, yeah, yeah. The motion knew he was Jewish? Yes, he did. He did. Wow. And he was considered, he was stayed righteous the entire time. Did he, like, study Torah yes. or learn with anyone? Yeah. So let's get to it. We'll have your... You have to wait here the story. <laughs> we'll get well, relax. All your questions, everything that you're asking is ready, is, is, is going to be is going to be addressed. So, um, so, uh, um... Meanwhile, the one day Moshe was three years old, and he was in the palace, and he was there. There was a big dinner. There was very uh, a lot of aristocrats were there. All of Paro's big advisors were there. Bilam was there with his son Yanus and Yambus. Those were the two sons' names. Good to know. Um, his uh, he was also there with the queen um, Alparonis, uh, which was sitting right next to him. And you know, so he takes you know little Moshe comes and he takes Paul and he sits on Paul's lap. I'm not sure from where she was. So she goes and he, Paolo takes his, ta- he, the Moshe as usual, 
takes the crown off, off Paro's uh, head, but this is like in the middle of everybody. And instead of throwing it on the floor, he puts it on his head. He puts it on his head and everybody freezes. Everybody, like the, you hear like the, the forks like dropping, like clinking. Everybody's like, you know, what is going on over here? So Bilam, you know, decides this is an opportunity. He jumps up and he says, uh, you know, and he goes and he says, your majesty, he says, may I speak? You know, he goes, like, please go ahead, speak. And he says, you know, he says, now I see the, the, your dream is coming into fruition. I didn't forget your dream and I'm sure you didn't forget your dream. He says, this boy is the lamb. He's going to be the one. Who's gonna, look, he's taking his crown, your crown, and he's putting it on his head. He's for sure, it's, he's going to be the one that's going to take the Jews out. I say we kill him right now in front of Batya, in front of his mother. So um, at that point in time, there was, um, there was an angel, also Angel Gabriel, that... Um, was in disguise, looked exactly like one of his other advisors that was present in the in the meeting in the in the dinner, and he goes and says, "Your Majesty, may I speak as well?" And he says, uh, "Yeah, please go ahead." So he says, "He says, what what type of people are we? We're scared of our own shadows. We're killing people with this. We're jumping. He's a little baby. He's three years old. It's a game that he always plays. Are you going to kill him because he put it on his head? This is what he does. He's a little baby. He's a little kid." So Bilam goes back and he says, "No, no, no, no. Come on, that's not that, that's that's petty words. That's not true." He says, this child is scheming, three-year-old child is scheming to destroy Egypt. So, you know, the Malach Gavir said, listen, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll run a test. Let's run a test. says, they brought him two platters out. They brought him one of gold and one of burning hot coals. Let's see what he's going to, let's see what he's going to reach out to. If he reaches the, the, the gold, then we know something's going on there because the coals are shiny. They're, they're burning hot. So we see if it's something that he's a little kid that he just reaches for the gold crown because it's shiny, then in case the kid isn't nothing. But if he's going to go and he's going to reach for the gold, that means he knows. He knows. He's, he's not all, you know, just a little kid. He's, and then we have to kill him. So they decide fine. They bring out these two, um, these two platters and, uh, one is gold, one is gold. And Moshe's looking at the gold. Moshe's looking at the coals. He go. He wants to go get the gold. So he's going. His hand going to, t- to grab the gold. Meanwhile, Malach came and pushed his hand to the coals. He touched the coals and he quickly it burned it. And he put it put it in his mouth. And that that's where he burned his mouth. And that's where he got the the speech impediment that he wasn't able to speak anymore. One of the reasons that God one of the reasons that God made that happen is because the when the non-Jewish uh, Egyptian woman came in and wanted to nurse him, there was a little bit of milk that came on his tongue. So this purified it. This purified it. Okay. So okay. Um, so now the Moshe was was safe. Okay, we can either stop here. We could go for a few more minutes, but it's getting a little bit late. Should we stop here? Stop here. Yeah. We'll have conflicting things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll do it. Uh, we'll we'll continue it next time. It's ready. It's ready. Very late. Any questions? Yeah, why did he why they they I think they knew that he was Jewish. They knew that he was Jewish, but the Paul realized that he was um, you know, being that he you know, they, they saw that the Jewish serv- the savior was in the ocean, the water already, that he thought he didn't have anything to worry about. Also the child was an heir, like if Moshe was the only son in his Yes, life, yes. Oh, he had yeah. Heir? He had he had a um it, it is said that he did have, yeah. He had like three kids. We'll speak about that also. Oh, Any good? Oh, and was, yeah. I was just gonna say, isn't the the Malach Gabriel like the protector of all Jews? Isn't he like the one who always like kind of like defends us up there? He um, there's there's, there's so there's Malach Michael. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.